0: All right. How many of you had a wonderful Canada Day? Yeah? Um, did, you, uh, did any of you get to enjoy some fireworks for Canada Day? Yeah? Yeah? Um, well, my Canada Day was pretty awesome. I got to spend some time with my wife. Uh, we we kind of celebrated going to bed at 8 a.m., uh, <laughs> Uh, so she works very early in the morning. So we've been doing uh, early to bed, early to rise. So, uh, but uh, we had some uh, a good day together. And you know, it it this is a great country to live in. This is such a, a beautiful country to live in. There's there's so much in this this country that we can explore and see the like. It's such a big uh, country and. I've had the opportunity to, to travel a little bit through Canada, and um, more towards the the east, even though I was, uh, I was born in BC, uh, I haven't really been out that way since I've grown up. I would like to at some point. But uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity with my family to drive out to, to Newfoundland, and yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it was, it was just a phenomenal time with, with family. Um, we were, like, just the drive of the trees, the winding roads, and then you get to the, the salty air by the ocean, and, and then you, we, we took the ferry across to the rock, and spent, uh, I spent two weeks there, and I've got a picture of, it's, it's a bit uh, grainy, but that was kind of the view I had for, for most of the time there. And it was a lot clearer when I was there than that picture. But uh, yeah, it was, it was nice and relaxing and just so, so beautiful. And then more recently, I've been able to explore Canada with like the, the experience has been greatly, greatly improved because I've been able to do it with, with my, my now wife Joanna and so much better to, to be able to travel through Canada with her. And in the fall of last year, we went and visited my parents close to Thanksgiving, and we took in the sights at Gatineau Park to see the the beautiful color-changing leaves, um, which you'll you'll be able to see up there, just on top of the hill and just the landscape. It was just so, so nice. And then more... uh, more recently, I was, had, we had our honeymoon, and we were able to go to Quebec City and enjoy the, the old stonework and, and, of course, the food. And the, the first day that we were there, it was just such a, a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, and so just to, to travel through, throughout a little, little parts of Canada and, and see the beauty, the beauty that this country holds is, is just phenomenal. And I'm not sure if you know this, but, but Peterborough and the Cortha area also are pretty pretty impressive, pretty beautiful. Um, lots of trails, lots of, um, lots of landscape to look at and water. And uh, less than a 15-minute drive from here, you can actually walk across an old railroad bridge on the Trans-Canada Trail and, and enjoy this, this wonderful view. So, um, yeah, it's just so much to see in this beautiful country, and there's so much that this country has to offer. Now, of course, and, and what I'm about to say, some of you are going to be like, no, let's forget it, let's forget it. Um, but of course, we recently had to, uh, had to go through lockdowns and restrictions, and, and we, we couldn't travel as, as much as we would have liked because of everything that happened with the pandemic. And, and of course, we had, had some, some protests that were making international news. Now, irregardless of the different views on that, this experience of going through this may have given us a small taste, a small taste of what it would have been like to live in Jesus's day. Because Jesus, his, his friends, neighbors, and communities were, were under the occupation of the Roman Empire right and and they didn 't need any excuse to perhaps impose a lockdown they didn 't need a reason to to oppress people and and during this time there were there were a few different uh, Protests, kind of um, revolutions and revolts that that sought to kind of take back control of their land, but they never really succeeded, and the Romans just squashed them. And so, so Jesus and and those around him probably would have experienced and and been very aware of the Roman oppression and, and the, the sentiment against the Romans. And perhaps even more, uh, which made them more realize that they were being oppressed, was the taxes. Now, who loves paying taxes? Not many people. Well, back in those days, I heard I, that that it was very likely that between the temple tax that the, the Jews paid to, to the temple, to the, which went towards the priests and God's, um, God's kind of established uh, priesthood, so they, they'd pay the temple tax and then add the Roman tax onto that for those that were farmers or artisans, which Jesus was an artisan because like uh, a woodworker, Carpenter, he, he was an artisan of a, a low class. Between all that tax, it possibly would have been up to a third of their income. A third of their income towards taxes. Now, that, that is a lot. That is a lot. So that would have been a, a constant reminder that they are this the temple tax was expected, and then this extra Roman tax just would have really added a lot, and that reminder that the Romans were were really in charge. And, and so we're in this day of, of um, being in controlled by the Romans, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this guy comes, and he says, make way for this coming kingdom. Make, prepare the way. Okay? This, this messenger comes out, and he says, prepare the way. But this is not for a Roman god. And the Romans actually kind of had this view that their, their leader, who, like Caesar or, or Nero, like they, they were expected to kind of believe of them as gods. But this messenger comes out and says, prepare the way, not for a Roman God, not for the the Roman head of state, but for the Jewish God, the one true God. And and we can read of those details in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So he's saying, listen, you need to change the way that you think because God's kingdom is coming near, has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. And as you can expect, a locust-eating camel skin wearing person wandering around saying, prepare the way for the Lord might turn some heads. And, and sure enough, he did. And if you were of one of these lower classes that we mentioned, you probably would have been c- pretty excited if, if you're thinking that, hey, maybe, maybe this is finally the way out from under these Romans. Just maybe. Maybe these taxes and restrictions are going to be done for. And so as as John is turning heads, we we see that the people are longing for something else, longing for this new kingdom, a different kingdom. And in Matthew 3, we we can read on in 5 or 6, verses 5 to 6, then people from Jerusalem all Judea and all the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. But see, John is just a launching point. See, John John said, listen, th- listen there's somebody coming after me. There's somebody coming right after me who, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's, the, the reverence and awe that John had for somebody coming after him. And so there's this, this announcement of someone greater. There's this announcement of this new kingdom. And the people of that day are challenged to change their minds and, and prepare their lives for this new kingdom. And then out steps Jesus this artisan of low class. And what does he do? Well, Matthew chapter 4, verses 17, sums up what Jesus did. But we're going to start in chapter 4, verse, verses 12 to 16. When he heard that John had been arrested, so when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, He withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And I just want to pause right there because what, what a beautiful, beautiful phrase of hope. What, like if, if that was said to you in a moment where, where you feel just completely at a loss, said, listen, in your darkness, You will see a great light. In the shadow of death, a light has dawned. What hope. And this is the message that Jesus proclaimed. This is the message for for those of you that look around the world and, and feel overwhelmed. This is the message. For you that, that watch the news and and just don't know what's gonna happen. This is for you that, that are looking at the week and don't know if if you're gonna make it through the, the stresses and the requirements of this week. A light has come, a light has dawned, and this is what Jesus says: Matthew 4:17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. This is what he began to preach. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And and Jesus gives his, his life, quite literally, for this message. And it was the same thing that John was saying. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And, you know... I'm convinced that if Jesus was to show up today instead of over two, or almost 2,000 years ago, the message would be the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We need to change the way that we think, the way that we live, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And, and here's the thing, instead of just another messenger, messenger, Jesus was, of course, the king of kings. He was the king in our midst, the king of this kingdom that he was talking about. And, and this morning, I wanted to talk about the, the kingdoms that we, we, we can see in our world. And and the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed is different than any other kingdom that has ever been established. It's completely other, completely different, a different style of kingdom, different heartbeat than any that has ever governed or ruled. The kingdom of Jesus is radically different than any human kingdoms. And I'm convinced, and I hope you are too, or become convinced, that we need to embrace the kingdom of Jesus above any other kingdom. If we were to look at human kingdoms and compare them to... Um, God's kingdom, we, we would notice some big differences. And just so you don't think I'm speaking of, like typically when you talk about a kingdom, you think of a, a king and maybe a castle and, and the system of government that has a monarchy, right? But but I want to kind of change that definition a little bit because the, the, the ideas of a kingdom is that we... We have this idea of somebody in charge. And so a kingdom that we're going to talk about today is really anything that has a leadership structure of there's, one, there's, there's people in charge, okay? And you know what? Sometimes that can be our own personal kingdom where we put ourselves at the top. And the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed is different than all of those. See, when we look at human kingdoms, they're they're pretty selfish, really. There's a lot of selfishness that goes on in them. In Jesus' day, the Roman government had different classes of people, right? There was a few uh, minority that would have been actual citizens of Rome, and then the rest were not Roman citizens. And there were, they, they did not have the rights that the citizens had. And then you also had slaves, which were even less and were only afforded the rights that their master gave them. And, and Jesus, we, we don't see any indication that he was a Roman citizen. In fact, the, the, the fact that his trial, Pilate said you know what, I, I don't see anything wrong with this guy, but I'm washing my hands of it. That indicates strongly that Jesus was not a Roman citizen and didn't have the rights to a fair trial. And so Jesus was of this, this lower class. And we can compare that to, to Paul, who went on trial, was able to plead and appeal his case before Caesar because of his citizenship. So So in this... This Roman age, we had lots of different classes. And those of power tended to use their position to oppress those beneath them. And, and maybe, maybe it wasn't um, directly forceful oppression. Maybe there were just, just this idea that I will not associate with them. I will not, not even look at them or talk to them. There were these different classes of people. I wonder uh, of the, the people that may have looked at Jesus and thought, I'm not going to associate or even listen or talk to this guy because he's of a lower class. What What did they miss out on? What did they miss out on? And even today, though we don't have established classes similar to the Roman society, we still, in, in, in our community and our world today, we have these different levels of people almost. We have it in, in our hearts too. Those people that we will not associate with or talk to, whether they're, we feel they're too good for us or beneath us, and so this, this idea of human kingdoms being selfish and, and putting people in different positions is very much relevant today, because it happens in our lives, our lives and in our communities, in our world. And in many times, we can see those in position of authority abuse their authority. It happens all, all throughout, um, throughout North America whether it's in companies or in the government or in, in churches. And this is completely wrong and completely different than the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. See, the kingdom that Jesus was announcing was one of selflessness, one where, where those at the top would serve those at the bottom. Could you imagine, could you imagine what it would have felt like to have Jesus wash your feet? See, we can, we can read of this one story where the, the, Jesus, who was believed to be the, the Son of God, the, the ruler of this kingdom of heaven, and he decides to wash the feet of his disciples. And, and, and Peter's reaction, of course, was, no, was, no, 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 you're not supposed to wash my feet. And Jesus' answer says, well, no, if I don't, you, you actually have no part with me. See, Jesus was modeling this new kingdom where those with power and authority, their roles was actually to serve those who were below them, those who had less power, less authority, and so Jesus bends down and, and washes his disciples' feet. And so we, we, we can flash back to what John said of, I'm not even worthy to untie this guy's sandal. And then Jesus says, well, I'm going to untie yours and wash your feet. And it's because Jesus' kingdom is upside down from what, what we think of as as ruling and, and kingdoms and, and being over people. Those with power and authority are supposed to be the greater servants. Amen. And Jesus at one point tells his disciples a parable about people who work for a man with... For, for different lengths of time, and they receive the same pay, right? So th- this man uh, goes out and he says, listen, you work for me, I'll give you this amount of money. And then towards the end of the day, he's, he's getting more and more people and they work less time and they get the same amount. And, and this is what Jesus finishes with. He says, Matthew twenty sixteen. he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. But this is the kingdom that Jesus was announcing. And in human kingdoms, sure, many kings have died in battle. But if, if you look at those, pretty much all the time it was to protect their kingdom or to conquer another. See, the purpose of those battles was was to protect what was mine or to get more. And Jesus, on the other hand, he didn't die in battle, but as the prince of peace. He did not struggle or argue. He offered his life willingly. John 10, verses 18 says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. That's a powerful statement. I have received this command from my Father, Jesus said. And we see as as Jesus, his kingdom, that he's he's saying this kingdom is here, and and his disciples, time and time again, they, they didn't fully get it. And when, Peter is, or when Jesus is about to be arrested, of course, Jesus, Jesus is being taken at night, and Peter pulls out his sword and, de- and tries to defend Jesus. And she says, no, 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 that's, that's not how this is going to go. That's not the way of my kingdom. And the golden rule that, that many of us know, and maybe you know, know it and didn't realize this is where it came from but the golden rule given by jesus embodies the heart of the kingdom of heaven as as we love our god and we love our others and do for them what we want done for us it embodies the heart of the kingdom and this kingdom is marked not by a king who rules over his citizens but a king who gives up his life for his citizens. Jesus died so that you can experience his kingdom, which provides you with everything you truly need. See, where a kingdom, the, the Romans would tax their people, where our governments tax our people, Jesus' kingdom is one that, Is fully funded before anyone gives a penny. And it gives to people. Jesus' kingdom gives us what we need, what we truly need. And he goes beyond that. He is the king that welcomes the destitute. To dine with him at his table. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to be a part of that kingdom. See, humanity's kingdoms are selfish, Jesus' kingdom is fueled by divinely inspired and modeled selflessness. It's completely, completely opposite. The other thing, human kingdoms are built up and torn down. We can look back through, through the books of history and, and see the, the amazing kingdoms and the, the rulers of, of different times. The, the Roman Empire was the, the longest-standing empire of over a 1,000 years. And now, now doesn't exist. We have, we have different um, things that were built by them, and yet even the Colosseum has deteriorated. See, we have these, these, these items from kingdoms of long ago, but the kingdoms were built up and then they were laid waste. They didn't last. Earthly kingdoms are temporary and they're subject to natural elements and human temperaments. Whether the kingdoms, we we have kingdoms that were destroyed by war. We have kingdoms that were destroyed by volcanoes. We have kingdoms that were overturned by coups and revolts. Human kingdoms are temporary. But Jesus' kingdom, the one that Jesus was saying, listen, you need to change the way that you think because my kingdom is here. It is everlasting. It's not dependent on human temperament. It's not dependent on the weather, the environment. Jesus' kingdom has no end. King David, who was a notable Jewish king, wrote in the Psalms, Psalms chapter 145 verses 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And he says, your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. Moses wrote in Exodus 15, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Now, Moses was kind of a a ruler over the the tribe of Israel. And, And King David was later a king over the nation. And yet these two people recognize that, listen, our rule, our position, no, 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 there's something greater. God's kingdom is forever. And the prophet Jeremiah, who saw and and announced that his kingdom that he was a part of would be just besieged and taken over. This is what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 19. You, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. And Jeremiah would have seen the, the terrible effects of war firsthand and the fall of one kingdom and the rise of another. In Daniel, we read the pros- prophecy of the kingdom of Jesus Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, he will be given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus' kingdom is forever and undestroyable. And here's something that, that I kind of, learned recently or, or my, my understanding was, was changed a bit. Did you know that Jesus' kingdom is not built by you? It's not built by us. Jesus' kingdom is not built by us. See, I've, there have been many times where I've talked about, like, um, like let's, let's build the kingdom or let's do this to, to further build God's kingdom, But nowhere do we read that God's kingdom is being built by human hands. In fact, the the author of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verses 28, says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We don't build it, but we get to receive it. We get to experience it and live as as citizens of part of this established kingdom that God has built. The, The stress is not on us to build it, but to thank God for building it and allowing us to take part of it. And when we live as, as people with, with changed minds, because God's kingdom is here, we don't build his kingdom, but we invite people to receive the kingdom, to take part in what God has already built. See, human, human kingdoms are temporary. Jesus' kingdom is eternal. Jesus' kingdom is eternal. There's so many points where it says this is a kingdom of every nation, every tongue, every tribe. It's it, Every now and again, I just think of all, all the followers of Jesus, all those part of Jesus' kingdom across this world and across history, and think of, wow, When 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 we're able to finally come together, what a crowd of people that will be. And, it, and there's going to be a lot of people that, that maybe we didn't think should be there. And you know what? To be honest, I, uh, other than what Jesus did, I, I don't belong there. And, but that's the beauty of it that we get to take part in the kingdom of Jesus because of what he did. And I encourage people to take part in our established government. I think we, we should vote. We should have a voice. But our main focus should be on the kingdom of Jesus that will never be destroyed. And and here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. Because when we embrace Jesus' kingdom, first of all, you are treated with dignity. And you treat others with dignity. Just the very idea that God, God says, let us create man in our image. Let us create... Man and woman in our image, that each one of you bears the mark of the Creator. And when I, I, I step into embracing this kingdom, I look at each one of you and say, You have the mark of the Creator on you. And and I need to treat you with respect and dignity regardless of who you are, where you've come from. See, when we embrace that kingdom, everyone is treated with dignity and respect and love. And, and love and peace mark a community that embraces God's kingdom. Paul writes in, to, to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule over your hearts and be thankful. Again, Jesus' rule is not one of oppression. It is one of peace and love. When we embrace Jesus' kingdom... We embrace something that not only transcends our world, but we embrace an unshakable and everlasting kingdom. See, our, when we embrace this kingdom, our lives become more meaningful because what we do is not just, well, I did something on Monday and it lasted Monday and now it's Tuesday, so it, whatever. But when we focus on Jesus' kingdom, what we do takes part in a kingdom that never ends. And so our purposes and and when we participate in that kingdom, it's not temporary. It's part of this everlasting kingdom. And finally, when we embrace Jesus' kingdom, we find rest and provision. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. He's talking to a bunch of of Jewish followers. And he says, listen, the, the people that aren't part of your group Worry about these things. And he says, Listen, I'm telling you, he says, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And and that's our challenge for today. That's our challenge for this week. That's our challenge for a lifetime is to seek the kingdom of God first. To change the way that we think. To focus our minds on participating in the kingdom of Jesus that is here now. The way that you treat others, the way that you treat money, the way that you treat yourself, the way that you treat our world. It is marked by the kingdom that you focus on. And when we, when we embrace the kingdom of God, how we treat all this stuff becomes marked by the character of a king who empowers those who are in his kingdom. And he empowers them to serve, forgive, and love. I hope that more and more my life is shaped by the kingdom that empowers me to serve, forgive, and love and recently i was I was listening to um, my my devotions and uh, I love audio, audio stuff, um, and it was, the, the readings were part of, uh, it was Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 19 to 25 were included in it, and it includes the fruit of the Spirit. If, if you're ever wondering, like, how should I treat this thing? Well, there, there's a good list here of, well, does it follow under this criteria? And as I was listening to my devotional, um, it was uh, by the, uh, the head of Alpha. And he said, what I have tried to put into practice is that I will read the fruit of the Spirit and I'll stop at the one that I feel most challenged by. I'll just stop there. So maybe, maybe that would be something, a good practice for you as, as you ask God to work on your character. Let's read Galatians five nineteen to 25. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, Factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you're like, maybe, maybe you're thinking like one or two of those. You're like, wait, does that mean I'm excluded? I mean, I've been I've been envious. I've had outbursts of anger. But, but what Paul is warning you is, are you making a practice of this? And so that's where our focus needs to be changed and shift towards God's kingdom. Because this is what Paul says, the, the fruit of the Spirit of God's kingdom, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control. And, and maybe if I had been doing this as I, I said before, I might have stopped at uh, love, because <laughs> there's sometimes that it's like, wait, I'm not really acting out love. But he says, all these things, and the law is not, give, not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. See, we've put away that that old stuff. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And if it ever feels too hard or impossible, maybe maybe you're reading this and you're like, I've got a lot of work to do. Well, I'm with you. But that's where Paul says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Over the years, I have experienced the Holy Spirit working in my life. No, I'm absolutely not perfect. But slowly, bit by bit, though, though I may step off the path, think of like as you're walking through snow, maybe as a, as a child, you would follow your mom or your dad, and they'd put footprints in this deep snow. And it was much easier to, to walk in those footsteps than it was to wander off. But sometimes you'd step out, and, and maybe maybe that it's those times when you need to just step back in, to get back in step with the street. And so it's been as I've tried to more and more learn those steps and follow those steps that, that this fruit has been produced. See, I'm, I'm still a work in progress, and you are too, but this stuff is fruit as we keep in step with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus' Kingdom. And he'll help you live out his rule. Now, we're, we're all at different places in our, our journey. We, some of you have grown up and you're thinking, okay, I know all of this, I've heard all of this before. But let's be honest, there's still areas in our lives that we need to reflect on. Still areas in our lives that we need to say, Jesus, you know what, you are king and I need you to establish your rule in that area of my life. And then others of you, maybe you're brand new to this. Maybe, maybe you've joined us for the first time in person or online, and you're curious about this. You're thinking like, okay, I see the, the problems in the kingdoms of, of people, and this, new, this kingdom that you're talking about, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I, I want to be a part of it. Well, I want to say that you most certainly can. And it it starts with that that word repent, that, that changing of your mind and saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't want to follow any other kingdoms. I want to follow your kingdom. I want to be a part of that kingdom, not my own kingdom, not the one I set up in my heart where I have my own rules, my own class of people not those of of other people set up. I want to be a part of your kingdom. And you get to be a part of that kingdom when you put Jesus as your king, as your Lord, as as your savior. And it's so wonderful because you get to experience the the beauty of life that God has fully intended for you. And you get to be a part of a kingdom that doesn't end, and that also gives you eternal life. So we're left with a question, all of us. Will I follow the way of Jesus? Will I accept his death and resurrection and new life? Will I follow him in his kingdom? When when I was in Quebec City on my honeymoon, Joanne and I had the opportunity to go up to uh, Saint-Anne de Beaupré, which is um, this beautiful cathedral in just a small town. And it, it really felt out of place when we saw it. And Inside, it was just this beautifully um, decorated cathedral and like every stone, every, uh, like the stained glass, the mosaics, like every part of it was just so artistically done. And then in the basement, um, there was a, a chapel as well. So under the sanctuary, there was a chapel, which was equally impressive with every little piece Just very beautifully done. And in the right corner at the front, there was a a crucifix that shows Jesus on the cross. But this one was different. And so it, it, it sparked my interest. And instead of Jesus just being on the cross, it showed Jesus with one hand nailed to the cross and the other one reaching out. And at first I thought it was symbolizing like, this is for you, I'm, this is a helping hand. And, and then, and, and it's very true that, yeah, that's, that's what Jesus, part of what Jesus did that for. But then as I looked closer, it got more challenging. Because above Jesus, there was a plaque as part of this crucifix. And it didn't say... King of the Jews. In French it said, Come, follow me. And I took a picture of it. At the very top just says, Come, follow me. What a what a challenge, and yet what a gift that we get to be a part of God's kingdom. This morning we, we sung the national anthem. And I'm, I'm very, very proud to be in this country. And I asked also um, for Tim to lead the song, The Anthem by Phil Wickham, which the chorus starts with the line, Jesus, the anthem of my heart. Jesus is the anthem of my heart. And where I, I love being a part of this country, may each one of us say, Jesus is the anthem of our hearts. And... Today we get the opportunity to to join together in in communion and remembering the the kingdom and the way of Jesus. And as we we take this, let us remember what Jesus has done for us. And may it challenge us to live fully, more fully into Jesus' kingdom. Now, I'll invite the uh, the worship team to come up, and uh, you know what? We'll end the service with songs after after we take communion, and and we, we typically read uh, a portion from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians for communion, and and Paul's writing, and he says, "Examine yourselves." And see, what had happened was this community had come together, and Paul writes about how they would eat before everybody showed up. Some of them would, would just gorge themselves, would, would leave like basically rolling out because they were so full, while others would leave hungry. See, they would have a meal together. And, and some of them would get drunk, and some of them would be thirsty. And there's this divide in those that had and those that didn't have and, and it was completely, completely wrong from what the kingdom of God had established. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not how you do it. This is supposed to be done together. Everyone should get food. Everyone should get drink. And we, we've made it a bit different where we use these small emblems. And yet we're still challenged with the the idea that let's do this together, but in our lives as the body of Christ. How do we treat each other? How do we treat those in our community? Are we doing so as Jesus' kingdom or, or with the focus of our own or other kingdoms in mind? And so I'm going to read the portion of Paul's letter and then I'll give thanks to each emblem and then we'll take it together as a community of Jesus' everlasting kingdom. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23-34, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup, after supper, and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, should eat at home, speaking of those who would just eat and eat. If If you're that hungry, eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. So let us take this together. Jesus, I thank you for the body broken for us. May we follow in your way, in your kingdom, by your spirit. As we embrace your new way. Thank you. Let's eat together. And Father, we thank you so much for the blood that you shed through Jesus. Jesus, we are so grateful for your sacrifice that by this blood, We get to experience this new covenant, this new kingdom, and all that you provide with it. Help us to live that out. Thank you. Amen. Let's drink together. As we we close in song and close our service, may the Spirit of God go with you today and challenge you to focus and live out Jesus' radically different kingdom. God bless you.